What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Weekly Cheese. Man, am I pumped to be back in the studio after my voyage out to Green Bay to see the Week 10 matchup against the Seattle Seahawks. What a game to be at. An amazing experience. We'll break down the trip. Some cool things happened. Some funny things happened. We'll talk all about it. And we'll also break down this game. Great day for the Packers defense. Shutting out Russell Wilson for the first time in his career. Great day to be a Packer. So much to talk about. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Weekly Cheese. Super Bowl! 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 What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Weekly Cheese. I'm your host, Joe Ivan, here with me in studio, and a man who was there with me at Lambeau Field this past Sunday, Chris. Chris, what's going on? What's up, Cheeseheads? I had the extreme honor. I really didn't understand. Let me preface this by saying I did not understand what I was getting myself into this weekend. I kind of did. Joe tried to explain it, but I had no idea, and wow, I came back loving the Packers more than ever, Joe. Yeah, I know. This guy went in just a casual Packers fan, and he left there with a heart full of green and gold. There's no doubt about it. And how could you not? Lambeau Field is, I mean, in my opinion, the most magical place on planet Earth. Um, It was awesome to be there. We'll get into that. We were, we were there as the Packers beat the Seahawks 17 to nothing. They moved their record to 8 and 2 overall and they f- officially regained possession of the best team in the NFL title, the moniker. They are officially as of right now the number 1 team in the NFL. Let's go. We'll break down the whole game, but before we do, let's take a minute here to just talk about our experiences at Lambeau Field. It was my second time at Lambeau Field, Chris's first time at Lambeau Field, and it was a magical trip. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even just, obviously Lambeau Field was amazing, but Green Bay as a whole, I mean, I guess. Oh, yeah. Was, oh, my God. I mean, I love the state of Wisconsin. I really do. I I got in there a little earlier. My, I got in there on Thursday. I flew into Milwaukee. I stayed the night there. I went around. I tried to shake some hands at the the stations out there, see if I could make a connection or two. And uh, so I got up to Green Bay before everyone. Chris and my family came up to Green Bay on Saturday afternoon, and I was in Green Bay on Friday. And an interesting little thing that happened on that Friday when I pulled up, I pull up to Lambeau Field, I just passed the huge Arby's, uh, crazy sign outside of yeah. the Arby, the vintage hat the 25 foot Arby sign one of a kind and I as guess. soon as you pass that right to the left is just Lambeau Field coming out of the tree line it's in all its grandness it was amazing it was amazing and I pull into the parking lot and I look across the street to the Clark Hinkle Field outside the Don Hudson Center yeah it was tarped off but I see the scoreboard is on and I see 
what could only be a punting drill going down. And I believe I got a small glimpse of Bahorquez practicing the banana punt and couldn't have been cooler. <laughs> Men hard at work yeah. at Clark Heineke Field. Like always. Oh, my God. And, and none other than Boho. The, see, it's just good to know that at all times he's trying to perfect yes. his technique with that. So that was the first cool thing that I would say I saw at Lamfield. I believe I saw Corey Bohorquez practicing his banana punt. Yes, and for obvious reasons, they have the fences. You know, you can't really see in there, but man, would it be awesome to watch them practice. Yeah, I know. Before the game, well, we get to our seats. We had such great seats at the game. We were row three, right behind the Seattle Seahawks bench. 50-yard line. We were able to chirp the Seahawks, and we were able to just really be immersed in what was going on during the game. And before the game, I did notice that they have these jug machines that simulate a punt. So I hope I didn't just see someone practicing. Like, I mean, actually, it would have been better off if I saw Malik Taylor maybe practicing his punt returns, considering he's struggled so mightily and the Packers have struggled so mightily in that area. But I want to. I think I saw Boho. It didn't seem like one of those jug machines, but at this point, I have no clue. Do you, is there a certain action on the banana punt that you would be looking for? Did you was the ball flying a certain way? Well, that's the thing. Well, I, don't they come out of those jugs <laughs> machines with a perfect spiral? I think a punt's a perfect spiral. Yeah, too, I, th- that's the thing. I really don't really know what to look for when a banana punt is going down. <laughs> Quite frankly, I don't know if he's ever done a banana punt, but when he first got to the team, he brought up this supposed banana punt. And, He's been just booting the piss out of the yeah, ball. Yeah. So who knows? And I think he is utilizing the banana punt without anyone really knowing when. Just That's for him and, and the him, special yeah. teams unit to know. Keep and it to themselves. For us to enjoy exactly. from afar, you know. But for my story 30 years yeah. from now, I got a clear view of number seven practicing <laughs> that that <laughs> banana punt. There was no tarp 20 years from now. I was basically on the field with them when I tell uh, the story yeah. years from now. Yeah. So, but Horquez was spotted. Um, another really cool thing that went down at Lambeau Field, well, before Lambeau Field, we were walking there on that Saturday, me, Chris, and my sister, we're walking to Lambeau Field, and I got on the vintage 1920s Acme Packer John Runyon Jr. jersey. It was brought up on the show before as a, a one of one. Yeah, it was the as first As a one of relic. one, and remember this. It was the first relic we introduced on the Weekly Cheese. Mike and I, we introduced the, the John Runyon Jr. jersey that we truly believe is a one of one. Uh, so I decided it would be my jersey for the weekend to see <laughs> if I could spark conversation and engagement with fellow cheeseheads out there, you know, weed out th- the serious ones from the not-so-serious ones around Lambeau Field, the ones that would go out there and comment on the Runyon Jr. Um, and as we're walking to the Lambeau Field, a group like we get to the intersection of Oneida and Lombardi, the most prominent yeah, intersection in the, the entire we're right county. Outside the Reich Center, right, and the Don Hudson Center, right outside there. We're about to cross the street to get to the Lambeau Field parking lot, and there's a you have to cross like four or five lanes there. You yeah, know it's, a, I mean? it's, it's a, a it's a, rather, it's a, long, it's a yeah, it's, it's a, a double lane walk. on each side, maybe yeah. three. And we spot this group of. 
middle-aged women. That, probably about five or six, too. Like, it was a large And they were group. probably, I would say, anywhere between the ages of 50 and 65, Somewhere right? in that they area. They were in that 15-year yeah. span of age. And as we're crossing them, right at the center of Oneida and Lombardi, one of them looks at my jersey, they see the 76, and she goes, oh, my God, is that John Runyon? Are you wearing a Runyon jersey? And I go, yeah, we're in a Runyon jersey, but like we're in the middle of traffic, so we can't really exchange pleasantries in the middle of the road. We have to finish our business and cross. Even though it wouldn't have been a problem yeah. from the friendly people of Wisconsin. Yeah, but you don't want to hold yeah, up yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. four lanes. So we cross, and it was cool that they – But and then as we're walking away, we see them talking and pointing oh, yeah. at the jersey. They couldn't take their eyes off you. They were so um, – petrified that they, they saw were, a they John Runyon jersey, yes. They were stunned. Yes. And it could only mean one thing. I'm saying based on the demographic of Packer fan it was, the, the middle-aged woman, uh, not many people know about John. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I don't think many, Like it's not like I was getting John Runyon Jr. remarks all weekend long. No, you only got a handful, yeah, and that was from the, the diehards. Like, yeah, you could tell they were the guy with the aged cheese head and such that oh, we'll, we'll talk about later. Talk yes, about that I didn't know. Yes. Gentleman but for, as well. yes, just to reference. But yeah, it's like, my guess is it must have been a Runyon family member of sorts, uh, whether it be a distant relative or uh, a close family member. Who knows? That, but I hope it was, and whoever it was, I'm glad they got joy from the John Runyon Jr. jersey because that whole group of five or six individuals was thrilled. Yeah, and they were like, loud about it, I too. I had a smile on my face for probably 35, 40 minutes because it was just so cool. Like that, And that's what you get at Lambeau Field. It's just a family atmosphere all around. Everyone's there for one common th- purpose, and that's to love the Packers. Speaking of loving the Packers, I'll take this time to shout out all the other brand new shareholders like myself. Yesterday was the first day of the 2021 Packers stock sale. I got online as soon as my eyes opened. I was able to get in there early. I only had to wait online for an hour, um, which is fortunate. I know other people out there like Chris here and Mike, they were online for Numerous, numerous hours and still ran into some technical difficulties there. But shout out to all of the other new shareholders out there. Uh, and, yeah, no better way to show you love the Green Bay Packers than by purchasing some Packers stock. And I could not have been happier to do so. Another extremely cool occurrence happened immediately after the Runyon interaction, and that is Chris and I are standing right out in the hallway in between the the 25-foot Lombardi Trophy statue and the Packer Pro Shop. We're standing right in that little hallway, and who do we see ducking out with his head down in the middle of all the Saturday commotion in the atrium? None other than Wayne Larravee with a briefcase in hand, just ducking out the side door, trying not to get stopped by anyone. And as I see him, I go, oh, my God, it's it's Wayne Larravee. Wayne Larravee. And I don't know if he heard me or not. If he did, I'm sure. I think I want to think he did just because it's funny to think about him trying to duck out with his with his head down not to get noticed and all he hears is behind him oh my god it's waiting and an angry mob starts attacking <laughs> him but luckily I didn't start an angry mob by saying his name loudly and he was able to move on with his day unbothered by anyone it seems 
I'm sure he had a great day on the mic the next day. We didn't obviously get to listen. But. Yeah, I, mean, I wondered where he was coming from within the atrium. I think, in in my opinion, I was unfamiliar with Wayne Larrabee. Like, f- you know, for the most part, I didn't know what he looked like like that. And so Joe pointed him out, and my first observation was that he looked extremely jacked. So my hypothesis was that every Saturday evening before the Packers' home game the next day, Wayne Larrabee sneaks to the gym inside of Lambeau Field that he is so lucky to get to work at and works out intensely. I wouldn't be surprised if Wayne got access to the team's weight room. Intensely. And on his way out of his intense Saturday night workout, he grabs a massive 15-inch brat from one of the vendors there and as a source of protein for his drive home. And that's how he fuels up for the next day. I mean, that I, was my first takeaway of Wayne Larry. I could agree with that almost entirely, except for the fact is Wayne would never be caught dead standing in line for a brat. He dude. doesn't that, need to. He doesn't need to. That gets brought to him. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't need yeah, to. Yeah, he gets, it gets brought to him on his way out. Yeah, he has somebody for oh, that. And, and it... You, you make an excellent point about the physical condition of Wayne Larrabee. He is a fit man. Yeah, I mean, I mean that he's was not my, yeah. that young. He's getting up there in the age. He's definitely a silver fox, and he is fit. He's in good shape, and he has a golden voice, and he is a golden man, Wayne Larrabee. I could not have been more pumped to see him, and if he didn't seem like he was uh, trying to go unnoticed out the door with his briefcase— and I was a little closer to him, I would have loved to say hi to him. He liked a couple of the Weekly Cheese tweets in the day. Wayne, if you're yeah. out there. He's liked a couple of our tweets in the past, so I would have liked to uh, just say hi and show him the tweet and say, like, hey, F the haters, man. Yeah. We got on someone for talking some trash on him How could after they? a game, and uh, we got on that person. He, he liked the tweets. So, Wayne, continue your – Success, man. Yeah. You're a good guy, and it was great well, to see you. What a unique Field. sighting. To a see, great yeah. sighting. Not one many people get to see. I don't think he's just out and about on the busy weekends. I think he's trying to stay work-focused. I mean, it's, I would love the to looks be of it. at more games and go right to that. I'm, every time I'm there, throughout that time on Saturday, I'm going to go to the statue and see if I could see Wayne. Maybe it is a routine of his to <laughs> duck out that door. <laughs> Unnoticed, and perhaps he wants to be noticed. Who knows? Maybe that's why he walks out that way. The busiest intersection in the entire stadium, yeah, right outside the. It pro couldn't shop. have been any more crowded oh, at that dude, time was, either. I don't even know how I was able to spot him. There were so many people there, but my radar was on that. The man scurrying out the door was important. He <laughs> sure as hell was important. Uh, another very cool thing that happened came in the form of some interactions I had with other fans. On game day, walking to the stadium, I was not in attendance on Sunday for the game. It was not the Joe Ivan, the host of the Weekly Cheese. It was the Cheese Bandit. It was the Cheese Bandit was in attendance, and he was approached by a couple of different fans. Uh, right when I got there, a nice gentleman. I don't know where he was from, but he was obviously from out of town. He was taking pictures of everything. He was really enjoying Lambeau Field and all it had to offer. And he made me feel as if I was something that Lambeau Field had to <laughs> offer that day. He came right up to me, and he asked for a photo with me, and it felt great. It was great uh, to feel like the Cheese Bandit was making an impact on at least one fan's game day experience. And I was also approached by another fan right outside the atrium doors. We were about to 
go through security to get into the game and a man sporting a very old and withered, withered. cheese head. Melted, it looked like. Oh, melted. yeah, it was, it was a nice cheese head. Nice he quality. He came up to me and he like kind of blindsided me. I was standing there and he just came up to me and like, put his arms on my shoulder and he said, I love the Runyon Jr. jersey. And <laughs> he was obviously on his 15th or 16th bed oh, of yeah. the of the uh, tailgate, so he was uh, loose, to say loose the least. Loose and musky. And, man, but was he a joy to talk to for that five minutes there. He uh, he showed us his inheritance. The coolest inheritance in yeah, Green he, Bay. He goes, because oh, I complimented his cheese head, and he goes, this is all my inheritance <laughs> from my grandfather. This is all I have. Everything the guy was wearing was his inheritance, yeah, and that was it. It's, he, he basically sported... Everything he had. he basically made it seem like the clothes on his back and the gear he had on was all he had. All it was he his had. Inheritance, and he could not have looked any better. And he positively impacted my game day experience. Oh. That guy, because he brought just a great vibe and energy to the whole, the whole day. Really, as he we set were the tone. The he yeah, set the tone. He really did. He was just like. He was so ready for football, and so were we. And then as we get in to the stadium, we stop at the extremely clean stadium bathroom. Yeah. And we uh, relieve ourselves, and then we make our way down to our seats. We get down to our amazing seats, row three, right behind the Seahawks bench. Right on the 50-yard line. 50-yard line. It was the best seats I've had for any event really ever. It was the the greatest experience of my life, really. Yes, seriously. And... We're there, and we are in a great section. I could not say any more positive things about our section. I mean, we had the Seattle Seahawks fan that I interacted with as we got there from Seattle. His son was there. His son was a Cardinals fan. Somehow. Somehow. The man said he dropped his son when he was a baby, and that's <laughs> Which is why hilarious. he's a Cardinals fan. Got a good chuckle out of that. Talked about that. We engaged some of the other Packer fans in the area. It was just good vibes all around. The Alaska guys were right behind us. If you guys are watching the games, they were on TV. Yeah. Of course, they were right in front of us, or right behind us, I should say, and they they were on TV. They had these crazy homemade, like, lynx hats on from animals they shot, and they had a sign that was on a stained, like, liquor box. It said, Aloha from Alaska, it says, which, I mean... It's okay. It's fine by me. It's, it's a cool okay. sign, I guess. But they got on the television, and then they immediately got a text that they were on the television. They were like, it's blowing <laughs> up. The guy looked down, and he was like, Did we oh. even verify? Was he just lying? No, no, he showed oh, me. okay, he okay. Goes, he, goes, he goes, everyone, I got on, and we're blowing up. Oh, and, he wanted to do that so was, bad. He was literally right behind me, and I look <laughs> up at him. Because the whole time, as we see the CBS cameraman, the, who must have been the most freezing man of all time, who was probably drenched in his own urine because he was standing there for five hours. Five hours. It didn't move once. He Not, didn't even take his no. eye off the little thing that they put. What, the, the, what is that called? The viewfinder. He didn't even take his eye out of that one time. Yeah, no, he must have had some sort of rig that <laughs> Rhett and Link reviewed on their uh, their peeing apparatus video. I'm pretty sure they had a whole video of Rhett and Link where they reviewed the different apparatuses, like the one golfs. The golf handle, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, okay. Either way, yeah. we're, this is yeah. a sidetrack that we don't need Irrelevant. to go down yeah. different urine apparati. But the camera couldn't have been any yeah. more pointed in our direction. That's what That's we're trying the point. to say. And, and 
the guy behind me, and I'm the whole time I'm doing the Rob Van Dam <laughs> thumbs to the back of my John Runyon Jr. jersey. I'm literally just slamming my thumbs as hard as I can to my back. I must have elbowed the little kid in the row behind me 50 oh times God. with how vigorously I was moving my thumbs back and forth to try to get Runyon Jr.'s name on national television. He needs some national recognition. Yeah, I was trying to get the jersey some 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 publicity. and The publicity I, it deserves. I look back at the guy from Alaska and I go, hey... Did my jersey make it in the shot? <laughs> and he goes, let me see, let me see. Ah, it's a shame. It seems like it's just a few inches out of frame. Of course. Did you verify that? Yes. Oh. All you can see is the, I think you can see of the little course, top you yellow. Of course, you just that. Oh, no, my just God. My, my yellow shoulder, I believe, you could see. Yeah, that's so complete BS. Huge bummer, but it was funny. It was funny nonetheless because, I mean... I was Rob Van Damming the back of my jersey so hard. I was literally just pointed to the name. <laughs> All for nothing. Another extremely cool interaction we were able to have due to our very fortunate seating arrangement was when the game first started, the defense gets on the field after the Mason drive, Crosby yeah, missed field goal. So vibes were low. The defense is coming on the field to – get the momentum back and they're trying to they're egging the crowd on the crowd's going crazy and chris is standing to my left and he's donning none other than well chris i'll let you explain this moment because it was really your moment well it was sparked you lent me the beautiful what is that the 50s throwback yeah the new 50s the brand new 50s custom i guess because they don't sell them but the darnell savage custom 50s throwback and it's a beautiful jersey and we're standing right about eye level with them and I don't know even what song was on and I was just getting loose I recognize Darnell Savage is looking my way so what do I do I start Rob Van Damming the back of my jersey <laughs> turning around flying my jersey in the air I stood up on the bleacher I didn't care what was around me who was around me Darnell Savage was spotting my jersey and I think, I mean, to my guess, he did. to my assumption, he did. I, I, I'm just going to say he did. I was turning up. He was turning up on the field. He was he throwing right some fists in the like air. He pointed. Yeah, he flexed a little bit. It was just sick. And, I mean, from that moment on, Darnell Savage, my favorite Green Bay Packer. You will hear it. All the secondary coverage you need on this podcast from me about Darnell, about the squad. But... Oh, my God, what an amazing moment from Darnell It Savage. really was such a cool moment. I had a similar moment with Bohorquez before the game, but it was not nearly as electrifying as the Darnell Savage moment because before the game, Bohorquez goes out there quick, and he's doing his practice punts, and I said, Bohorquez! I said his name like three or four times, and he, and he looked, and he gave me a thumbs up. But that Darnell moment, he yeah. I, he was it looking was right awesome. at you. And it, he, the guy to my left also, he agreed that he also thinks that he saw me, but I don't know. It was just sick. I'm 20 years from yeah, now, exactly. the story goes, Darnell 20 years from now, he came me. right up to you and he told you that he loved your jersey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He asked you where you got one. <laughs> um, and, then, and then he signed it. <laughs> yeah, so In game. Yeah. Another crazy occurrence that happened a pretty funny story i got from lambeau field is we're sitting there and we're in the seahawks territory but we're behind their bench so we're surrounded by a 
significant amount of Seahawks fans. The, the most Seahawks. Yeah, fans. in the stadium, the, the most amount of Seahawks fans were sitting in this area, yeah, which makes sense. And we were definitely behind enemy lines, if you will. And I don't remember exactly what happened during the game. We have the we have the footage, so I'll throw it up. We have the exact footage, so you'll be able to hear it for yourself. But during the game. The fans, the Seattle fans, all in unison, started chanting, let's go Brandon. And they were radiating out the, throughout the arena, and it was all the Seattle Seahawks fans. And we'll play that right now. So here's, here's the clip of that. Now, that was a great play by Devontae Adams. But as you could hear, while the Packers' offense was driving down the field, the Seahawks fans were chanting, let's go, Brandon, let's go, Brandon. And every time, they kept doing it throughout the game. And I kept thinking, like, who is Brandon? I would look I would look at Chris. I would say, who is Brandon? And I'd look at my dad and say, who is Brandon? Like, who <laughs> are they talking about? And then, I think... Oh, you Seattle Seahawks fans, you sly, sly SOBs. I know what you're talking about. You're chanting, let's go Brandon, as in Brandon Bostick. You're rooting for the man who fumbled the onside kick in the 2014 NFC Championship game because that's the only thing you guys have. Only, yeah. That's the only thing you have over us, and... And then the fail Mary, and you, you were th- bringing up Bostic, and I said, you clever, you clever, that's clever. And I gave them a lot of credit for their witty chant. Flash, flash forward to Tuesday. We get back, it's back to reality. I'm at work, and my coworker Jordan comes up to me, and he goes, yo, what, what is this let's go Brandon stuff everyone's chanting? Uh, something for Trump or something like that? And I go, wait, what? Let's go Brandon. It is? It's something for Trump? So it turns out this, I don't know exactly what it means, but it turns out this let's go Brandon is not, in fact, a Brandon Bostic cheer uh, to rub dirt in the wounds of the the Packer fans in the stadium. It was some crazy alt-right hullabaloo. And um, I just have to say, I don't really care. I don't even know what Let's Go Brandon means. I don't know any context about it, but I'll just say, I take back what I said. No credit for the Seahawks fans. Not a witty chant whatsoever. Oh, my God. And they ruined my clip with that. Yeah, they, they tainted they the tainted clip. They tainted my clip yeah, with that. they tainted the clip with some crazy hullabaloo. And uh, it just, it takes away, like, I left there respecting the chant because I had no clue what it was. I thought it was a witty Bostic jab, but... After finding out what it really means, I have to just publicly say I take away all the credit I gave. They're not witty. Seahawks fans are just as unwitty as I assumed they were going into the game. And that's what we'll say about it. Uh, just funny story. I, <laughs> I could have sworn it was a Bostic reference, and I gave them a lot of credit for that. And just one last observation here as we get into the breakdown of Sunday's game and the walloping the Packers handed to the Seattle Seahawks. As it was very obvious at the end of that game there with what transpired with DK Metcalf, um, 
But being that we were just three rows away from the Seattle Seahawks sideline, we were able to observe some of the interpersonal workings that are going on. And it's already starting to get some rumbling in the media now, but we're here to tell you for, from firsthand, firsthand observation. And the quick quick note, the seats at Lambeau are not like the other stadiums. Like, they're right up against the bench. You know, the newer yeah. stadiums now, they're kind of far back, so I don't know what the perspective is like there, but you could literally see and sometimes hear, not that you're, you know. But, yeah, literally. They could hear us way more than it, we yeah, could 100%. hear them. But with that being said, we could observe their interactions, and just from the looks of it, the body language of some guys on the sideline, in particular DK Metcalf and just the energy, the bad energy surrounding him on the sideline. The Seahawks are about to be blown up. Um, the, it's over there for the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson yeah. era. The, it, everything's about to turn there. It is dysfunctional. It is dysfunctional. Everybody's there to do their job and go home. Yeah. I, it couldn't look like they cared about winning less, if we're being honest. Yeah, and like we observed – a moment between Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf that was very telling of the dynamic that they have going on there. Russ goes up to him and tries to like give him some sort of criticism or direction or who knows what he said to him, but he goes up. He's to probably him said, "Get your head in the game." Yeah. and and he walks away and DK looks at this guy that no one knows the name of on the sideline and he they kind of like laugh his and yes man joke around about Russell Wilson as Russ is walking away and. Basically, the entire game, DK Metcalf could be seen lingering around the heater. Um, Demanding a jacket. Underneath a jacket, sitting on the bench, sulking. and it's literally slouched. I never thought I would see it, but he was, like, slouched over, actually. Yeah, and he was leaning back in his chair and sucking on his binky a little bit. And, <laughs> and he, like, would not be in the huddle. It was very strange, like— the, it, during a media, like a TV timeout, or just like a break in action, if he even if he was on the field, he would walk off the field, go near the the heater, put his helmet on the heater, and then right as the play clock started again and the ref blew the whistle, the ref blew the whistle, he would mosey back into the huddle as if he was doing them a favor being there. Yeah, it was ten guys on the field and that one guy being DK by the heater. It was yeah, like, come on. It was just very. It was discouraging. Discouraging and. It, I never really, I didn't really like DK Metcalf coming into the game, but I, I dislike him after I saw the way he behaved on the sideline, and he capped it off with getting thrown out of the game. Uh, in well, he, an he epic was meltdown. probably just fed up from the yeah. sideline BS he was dealing with the whole game. Probably had nothing to do with the what the Packers BS guy he said was to him. Causing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Causing. Good yeah, point. Not dealing with causing. Yeah. Yeah. He was, something's going on there, and we're here to tell you that. It's dysfunctional it's over there, and they're it's done. done. It's done. It's over there. they got to rebuild. Poor Seahawks. Yeah, it's, they had a good run. They had a good they run. They did. Great run. Um, but Russell Wilson has never been shut out until no, then. And he shouldn't have came back, and he definitely shouldn't have, shouldn't have came back with a 10-minute-long hype video introducing his epic comeback because, once again, the Green Bay Packers dominated the football game. The Packers' offense took three quarters to get going. Uh, they were kind of stagnant. Like, they were moving the ball, but they were not finishing drives for three quarters. Um, they only scored three points throughout the first three quarters of the game. But in the fourth quarter, they were able to put some points on the board, and the defense played lights out. And, yes, they shut out the Seahawks for the first time in Russell Wilson's career. Aaron Rodgers... 
back after missing 10 games due to COVID. Thank goodness that entire saga is behind us and we could get back to focusing on Packer football. You finish a day 23 for 37, 292 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. It was a bad throw, uncharacteristic play from Aaron Rodgers. He said on McAfee yesterday that he told Jamal Adams after the game that he gave him that one, that he really shouldn't be gloating about that one, that he threw it right to him. Jamal Adams posted on his Instagram today a picture of him picking that ball off with, you know, some BS caption. It was your third career interception, bro. And he, I mean, uh, I'm not going to say too much here, but Aaron threw him that ball. It it couldn't, I'm not, I'm out of here. He threw it right to him, but no, it's, uh, it's good you bring that up because you say it's his third career interception. I looked at the Seahawks fan right behind us when Jamal Adams picked that ball off and I said, Okay, relax. What is that, his third career interception? And he goes, yeah, it's his third with the Seahawks, but he had some with the Jets. And He had zilch on the Jets. Zilch. Zilch with the Jets. That guy had no clue what he was talking about, dude. It was his third career interception, and even I knew that. <laughs> Overall, really was not the best day from number 12. Or the offense as a whole, but he still finished with nearly 300 passing yards, and he is one of the few quarterbacks in the game right now that could have 300 yards passing and still not have a good day. So all is well. Uh, The offense as a whole started the game slow. Uh, The opening drive started extremely well with the big play to MVS. Good to see him get a big chunk of yards there, 43, I believe, in the air in what was his only reception of the day. But quickly thereafter, after Aaron Rodgers scrambles from the pocket, picks up the first down with his feet, called back for what was a phantom hold on Elton Jenkins. He clearly did not hold anyone, uh, but nonetheless, the Packers' drive was stifled, and it was capped off with a missed Mason Crosby 42-yard field goal. Uh, Not the way the Packers wanted to start the game. Um, And on top of that, the running tack took a little bit to get going there, uh, but once it did... The Packers were able to finish the game strong and score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, uh, both coming by way of A.J. Dillon slams. Uh, Devontae Adams was his usual self. Uh, Led the team in receiving seven receptions for 78 yards. Randall Cobb had a decent day. He only had three catches for 21 yards. But Randall Cobb continues to just gain first downs. It seems like virtually Every single time Randall Cobbs catches a ball, he is moving the sticks. Uh, on Sunday, two of his three catches moved the, the sticks for a first down. And even though he didn't have a monstrous day in the box score like he has had a couple times this season, his presence on the field and the, the reacquisition of Randall Cobb to this locker room, enough can't be said about it. It's great to have him back on the team. It was awesome to see with my own two eyes Randall Cobb catch a ball as a Green Bay Packer. And, yeah, great to have Randall back. Like I said, MVS, he started the game off with the 41-yard reception. But after that, he was quiet. It was his only catch of the day. And to round out the wide receiver group, Alan Lazard had a rough day. He caught just one ball for six yards, and he had a handful of drops on what would have been a big play opportunities a couple of them were they were all pretty tough 
but he could have came down with at least one of them. And if he did, that the game could have looked much different. And the game should have looked much different. Uh, the Packers left a lot of points out there. But they scored when they needed to, and they got the job done. And a lot of it had to do with the play of the running backs. The running backs had a fantastic day catching the ball. Aaron Jones finished the day with four receptions for 61 yards. I believe he had seven carries, 20-something yards or something like that to go along with it. But unfortunately, Aaron Jones went down with a MCL sprain late in the game. Um, this is his third or fourth time spraining his MCL, so we know he'll be back within a couple weeks. My guess is he'll be back after the bye. We'll need someone to step up there in the meantime and deliver. Um, but it was up to A.J. Dillon to finish the game out for the Green Bay Packers, and that's exactly what he did. He flipped a switch in that fourth quarter, and he was the player of the game because of it. A.J. Dillon was the difference maker. He finished the day with 24 touches for 128 yards and two touchdowns, 21 runs for 66 yards and the two goal line punches, and two receptions for 62 yards. He had a huge 50-yard catch right on the, the left sideline, right in front of our faces. I posted the clip to the Weekly Chiefs Instagram, but I'll throw it up here quick. Shout out to my father and his Galaxy S21 Plus for that high-definition video quality there. The snow in that video just looks crazy. Awesome angle. And, yeah, we had the best seats in the house for that big play by A.J. Dillon. Chris, anything to say about your experience watching that A.J. Dillon big game ceiling play, basically? I mean, it's just more obvious in person, obviously, how hard he, he hits guys, he steamrolls guys, and... He's an athlete. I mean, he looks super athletic on the field. He looked amazing catching the ball. And I don't know. I think I would like to see A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones kind of split the backfield just a little more when Jonesy returns. I mean, A.J. Dillon, I mean, he kind of planted his his place in the roster there. And he, he provides something that Aaron doesn't in the mass of human being that he is. But then Aaron provides what he doesn't in the quickness and the shiftiness. So... It's a deadly combo. Coming into the year, I wrote a little piece on the weeklycheese.com regarding this thunder and lightning backfield. They've been they they were talking about how they're going to take the league over as the most dominant tandem in the backfield the, the NFL has to offer and they really have. Enough can't be said about the way AJ Dillon has been playing and what he brings to this offense and he has been getting more involved and obviously gaining the trust of not only the coaching staff but 12 and others around him with his consistent play over the past basically this entire season he's been playing lights out and I'm very excited to see how AJ Dillon performs over the next couple weeks while Aaron Jones recovers from this knee injury we're going to need AJ Dillon to take basically all the snaps as we wait for Aaron Jones to return from the knee injury. So fantasy owners, pick this man up. 
I had him on my team. I had to drop him because some other injuries. Guess arose. who grabbed him? And Chris came Your in, boy. scooped him up, and oh, he's Ante. Shout out to Ante. Uh, he he actually is the one that picked him up. He was on it. But as those temperatures drop, those numbers goes up. Oh, for especially for a guy AJ like AJ Dillon. Dillon. That's with, what I'm saying. With Aaron Jones being out of the lineup for the next couple of weeks, AJ Dillon is going to be the primary running back. And I believe he's going to have a couple of very strong performances in the weeks to come. It's also important to note that shout-out to Patrick Taylor. He got his first career action as a Green Bay Packer when Aaron Jones went down with that injury. He carried the ball twice, gained seven yards, and he almost got in the end zone there. Um, it was nice to see Patrick Taylor come in and contribute. It'll be interesting to see if he is, in fact, the second running back in Aaron Jones' absence. If he is, I wish him nothing but the best. I'm sure he will succeed when he's in there. Next man up mentality in this building. But with that being said, the Packers are also looking around elsewhere to see if someone could come in and play that second running back role and then give A.J. Dillon the rest he deserves throughout the game. And on Tuesday, they worked out former Lions running back Carryon Johnson, a guy that I'm familiar with due to the fact he was a running back for the Lions for couple years we saw him six times at least in his career and he's not a bad player he has had an injury riddled career thus far but when he's in there he was productive for in his three years with the Lions he had over a thousand yards and six touchdowns he started 14 games and yeah he has been bitten by the injury bug but he's a capable running back too and it'll be nice to see if the Packers do decide to sign him if he could come in and contribute in one way or another either way someone's going to have to step up and and take some snaps as a running back for the Packers and whoever it is I wish them luck but overall the Packers offense was not spectacular but they were still able to dominate the time of possession nearly 40 minutes to 20 minutes. They nearly doubled the Seattle Seahawks' time of possession, and they outgained Seattle by nearly 200 yards. Um, In all actuality, the Packers could have won this game 38 to nothing if it were not for their continued struggle in the red zone. They finished the game 2 for 5 in the red zone, and that's got to get better. That's not the Packers' offense we're accustomed to seeing, and I have no doubt They will clean that aspect up. But luckily, this Packers defense is the real deal. They are officially the real deal, and they dominated the Seattle Seahawks from the opening whistle to the final seconds of the game. They dominated the Seattle Seahawks. Joe Barry, man. Enough can't be said about the way he has his defensive unit playing. On Sunday, they were able to keep the box light and roll out their nickel and dime packages. Basically, the majority of the game, due to the fact they were stopping the run with a light box. They had two interior defensive linemen practically all game long. Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry, um, they were in there the majority of the game. They were spelled with TJ Slayton and Tyler Lancaster, but without Kingsley Kiki at their disposal. The fact the Packers were able to stop the run so effectively with just four or three defensive linemen opened up a lot for Joe Barry and allowed him to roll out the nickel and dime packages and have five, six DBs on the field 
at all times. Um, Kenny Clark was his usual disruptive self. I mean, eight pressures and a quarterback hit. It seems like Kenny Clark is just a man on a mission this year when it comes to getting after the opposing team's quarterbacks. And the Seattle Seahawks offensive line had no answer for the man. They basically doubled him the entire game, and he still came away with eight pressures. And Dean Lowry was back to his full snap count. He only finished with about three pressures, which is a slow day for the 2021 version of Dean Lowry. But he is coming back from the hamstring injury. And just to see him in there for a full 42 snaps was enough for me. Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark are a ferocious duo on the interior of that defensive line. But it is important to point out the unsung hero of the day. And no, I'm not going to say Tyler Lancaster. Yes, Lancaster did do his part. I believe he had six snaps and he had a tackle. He, he did his job swallowing up the runs, filling those gaps with his monstrous body. But the unsung hero is TJ Slayton. He continues to show improvements. I mean, this is the first time all season long that the man simply just out-snapped Tyler Lancaster as a result of game plan. Last week against the Kansas City Chiefs, when Kenny went down with the injury and Kiki wasn't involved in the game plan at all with his concussion, Tyler Lancaster and TJ Slayton both had to take a huge increase in snaps, and they played well. And as a result, TJ Slayton received more snaps this week with a healthy full defensive front 12 snaps for dj slate tj slayton doubled the amount of tyler lancaster on the day which i think is worth noting it's a sign that the fifth round draft pick is finally earned the trust of the coaching staff not only to know the playbook but to go in there and execute at a high level because in his 12 snaps tj slayton finished the day with three pressures and he graded out as an 88 for his pass rushing on the game. So great day from TJ Slayton. And he is showing improvements week in and week out. And as the season goes on, you need defensive linemen. And he is a big, strong, and physically capable young man who I believe can have a very good career in the green and yellow. And it's good to see him starting to get going week 10. Sunday was also a great day for the Packers' edge-rushing unit. However, they also did suffer some major injuries. All three of the Packers' top edge-rushers had a sack, and they finished the day with 17 total pressures. Preston Smith was, an, he was a monster on Sunday. It could have been his best game of the season. I mean, 10 pressures and a sack. Although he could have had more sacks, he was always, constantly, in Russell Wilson's face, and the sack he did come away with ended the game. He sacked Russell Wilson for a loss of 14 on the Seahawks' final drive of the game, and it, that, too, was right in front of our very eyes. It was so badass, and I am lucky enough now to say that in the two games that I've seen at Lambeau Field, I saw Preston Smith come away with a game clinching sack he did it in the divisional round the last time Seattle was in town he sacked Russell Wilson on the Seahawks final offensive drive of the game a game-changing play then a game-ending play on Sunday 
and Preston Smith really could not have played better. And it's great to see. Rashawn Gary also had a tremendous day getting after the quarterback. Four pressures and a sack for Rashawn. Uh, he did a fantastic job at setting the edge and stopping the run. Unfortunately, Rashawn Gary went down late in the game with what seemed to be a gnarly elbow injury. Uh, he was down for quite some time in excruciating pain. Uh, that, too, was right in front of our very eyes. Uh, it happened right on the 40-yard line, right in front of our face, and I have to say it was tough to watch. He was on the ground for quite some time, rolling around, and I did not like seeing Rashawn Gary in such pain. But fortunately for us, Rashawn Gary is going to play through it. He posted one of the most insane things on Instagram Monday, right after the game. It was a picture of him shirtless doing a Bane Gary scream to the crowd, and he posted something underneath it like, the only the only source of information you could trust regarding me is on my payroll or I'm on theirs. And then he said, I, I could confirm that the D train will continue to roll and that Bane Gary will be on it. And I could not have been more pumped up because this guy just plays so hard. And the fact that he's just going to put a brace on that elbow and get back out there next week is just a testament to how tough and badass Rashawn Gary really is. And thank goodness he's going to play because the Packers cannot afford any more injuries in that edge-rushing room, especially after what happened on Sunday. Whitney Merciless had a great game. Three pressures and a sack. Uh, but unfortunately, the 10-year veteran goes down with a devastating bicep injury. He tore his bicep um, while trying to sack Russell Wilson. He almost had him. He had a vice grip on the back of Russell Wilson's jersey. And uh, it must have popped there when Russ was trying to evade. He immediately went down and in pain. And unfortunately, his season comes to an end. It's a it's a shame. It really is. He came in just a couple weeks ago from Houston, and he's been making an impact each and every week. Ten pressures on the year. A sack he got on Sunday. He, you could tell he was just starting to get going it with this defense, get comfortable with the plays. and uh, It's such a shame to have Whitney Merciless go down. It couldn't have happened to a more respected veteran. And, hey, if and when the Packers win the Super Bowl this year, Whitney Merciless could wear that ring proudly because he was a difference maker in his short stint of games here. And my my heart goes out to Whitney and uh, wish him best in recovery. And who knows, perhaps he will be back next season with the green and gold. Who knows? As far as the middle linebackers go, Chris Barnes and Devondre Campbell both had very solid days. I mean, Devondre Campbell... I say it week in and week out. The man is phenomenal. He's made a post right after the game that all he asked for was an opportunity, and uh, it's safe to say that he has taken full advantage of the opportunity the Packers gave him this year. Um, he was the October Defensive Player of the Month for the NFC. He is the 
the most important defender on the field for the Packers week in and week out. He is the glue that's holding the whole thing together. Enough can't be said about the play of a spectacular middle linebacker, and that's exactly what Devondra Campbell has been on Sunday. Five total tackles, a tackle for a loss, a quarterback hit, um, and just amazing in coverage like he has been all season long, only giving up two receptions for a whopping total of a one yard. Just a great game from Devondre Campbell, uh, and he's obviously not slowing down anytime soon. He's just getting going. And Chris Barnes, another strong game from Chris Barnes. Five total tackles, good day stopping the run. His IQ on the field is undeniable. It's just obvious he's always around the ball. Um, obviously, there's areas where he can improve. He's got to get a little better in coverage, but he has been playing great as of late. And he played very well on Sunday. But the star of the show on Sunday was, without a doubt, the Green Bay Packers secondary. The secondary has been playing lights-out football all season long, even in the wake of Jair Alexander. And over the last three games, while taking on three of the league's best quarterbacks, the secondary has stepped up and played perhaps their best three games of the season. When taking on the Green Bay Packers, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and Russell Wilson combine for 62 of 110. That's a 56.3% completion percentage. 601 yards, one total touchdown, and four interceptions against this Packers secondary over the last three weeks. That is insanity. Taking on, if you were uh, told me when the schedule came out, in the three-week stretch of time when we're taking on Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and Russell Wilson, that they would have combined for one passing touchdown and four interceptions, I would have called you a liar. And under 1,000 yards. And under 1,000 yards. I would have called you a liar. But no, this Packers defense is legit. This secondary is playing great. They are a unified group. They are all on the same page. And they could not be playing any better. This week, they might have had their best game. The Packers lined up primarily in a cover two. Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage lined up deep. And they relied on their corners to man up with Seattle's top two weapons, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. They're a very strong duo at wide receiver position. One of the best duos in the league, Metcalf and Lockett, Russ's boys, I mean. But they did not have a chance to get going on Sunday. Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage, they're clearly the best safety duo in the league, and on Sunday they played great. Adrian Amos, four tackles, three pass breakups, and an interception. Should have had two. He almost came down with that second one. But he was absolutely all over the place. Uh, he's as good as it gets on the back end. He blankets the entire field, prevents big plays. I mean, on the on his interception, Russ clearly thought he had Lockett in the end zone for an easy one. And Adrian Amos just comes out of nowhere, reads the route perfectly, and just high points the ball. He really made Tyler Lockett look like a shrimp on that play, if I do say so myself. I mean, but it was a phenomenal play from Adrian Amos. And Darnell Savage... Only gave up one reception, and he had a pass break of himself. And the Packers' corners played great. Eric Stokes basically manned up with Tyler Lockett all game long. 
He gave up no receptions. He was targeted four times. He had a beautiful pass breakup when defending Lockett on a comeback route. Unfortunately, I was in the bathroom at that point. I believe it was on the first drive of the the, the, the second, second half. Um, but I was in the bathroom on that, and I did not get to see it live. It was not right in front of my eyes. But I did see it on the game tape, and it was a great play from Eric Stokes. Um, and this rookie has really just been tested every single week to start his career. Especially once Jair went down, Eric Stokes immediately became tasked with Manning, the number one receiver on each team. And it is obvious that things are just slowing down for him out there. Each week, Eric Stokes takes a step forward, um, and he's been a valuable addition to this secondary. And they're going to have to rely on him to continue to get better week in and week out because, as far as I'm concerned, he is a Pro Bowl talent, and he needs to get to a Pro Bowl level, and he's on that trajectory. Right now, he's playing great. And Rasul Douglas and Kevin King shared the task of defending DK Metcalf. And, and they did a fantastic job at shutting him down and, more importantly, frustrating him throughout the game. Rasul Douglas played the majority of the snaps. He had 42 snaps. Uh, and although he did have one of his weakest days in coverage since joining the Packers, uh, he gave up four receptions. Uh, but thanks to his strong tackling ability... He only allowed 24 total yards. So, yeah, he was allowing some catches, but he was making up for them by not allowing yak, which is uh, great when you're getting beat. Uh, but he also had a pass breakup and a phenomenal tackle for a loss after Aaron Aaron threw that interception to regain the momentum, uh, backed him up. I believe he set up a third and 14, stifled that drive, and really regained the momentum. It was electrifying when he got that tackle for a loss. He literally like give that gave that man a John Cena attitude adjustment. He scooped him up and like dumped him over. And then he did this uh Super Mario fist in the air to the crowd. And the whole place was jumping when when Rasul came down with that TFL. So he's been playing great. Enough can't be said and it's obvious that the coaching staff is into the way Rasul Douglas is playing football because he doubled Kevin King, a healthy Kevin King, in time on the field. Kevin King rotated in for Rasul Douglas. He only played 20 snaps on the game, but he finished as the second highest-rated Packers defender. He only allowed 10 yards on two receptions, and he was able to make a huge play in the first half, picking off Russell Wilson. Um, in the end zone. So it was nice to see Kevin King produce. It was nice to see him come down with the interception this week. He almost dropped it. He almost dropped it, but he didn't. He came down with it, and that's back-to-back -back strong performances from Kevin King. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next week as he continues to battle for that starting spot with Rasul Douglas um, because in his 20 snaps, he did play well. Right now, the Packers have a top-five defense in the NFL. Since week three, Green Bay has held opposing quarterbacks to a 72.1 passer rating, a 61.6 completion rate. They've sacked the quarterback 23 times. They have 10 interceptions, and they allow 5.7 yards per attempt. The scariest part about that is that they have those crazy good numbers without their two all-pros. Jair Alexander and Zadarius Smith 
have been out. Well, Zedarius has been out since week one, and Jair has been out since that Bengals game. And uh, in their absence, this defense has played great. They are a top five defense in the league. And this is perhaps the best defensive unit that Aaron Rodgers has had since that 2010 Super Bowl team. And they are the number one reason why that through 10 games of this season, the Packers are the favorites to win the Super Bowl because the defense is playing lights out. Which is a great thing, considering that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense really has not been playing at the level we're accustomed to seeing from them, particularly in the red zone. I believe the red zone struggles will change and come to an end once David Bakhtiari comes back into the lineup and we could shift Elton Jenkins back inside. Doing that will make things much easier in both the run and the pass game. I mean, the interior trio of John Runyon Jr., Lucas Patrick, and Royce Newman have stepped up admirably this season, and they should feel very proud about the way they've played. But having David Bakhtiari back in there and having him out there with Elton Jenkins just makes life so much easier for the entire offense, not to mention the fact we're hoping to get Josh Myers back from injury as well. So once we get our starting center back, and the best left tackle in football, and we can put the left guard, Alan Jenkins, back in there. Once the offensive line is back to 100%, life in the red zone will become much easier. But right now, this team is rolling. They're winning games in different ways with their defense and with their running game. And it seems as if it's not all up to Aaron Rodgers to go out there and win a game. The Packers are winning games in different ways. They're sitting at the top of the NFL right now, and they're primarily doing so due to the play of their defense, which is a very pleasant surprise and something that I honestly thought I would never say. Um, this Packers team is special, and I know I say it every year, but this year I mean it more than ever. This is the year. That's going to do it for this week's episode of The Weekly Cheese. As always, if you enjoy the content, please subscribe, like the video. And if you don't like it, hey, feel free to dislike the video and talk trash in the comments. I really don't care. I'm just trying to get some engagement here. Also, follow us on Instagram at theweekly.cheese. Follow us on TikTok at theweeklycheese.podcast and on Twitter at the Weekly Cheese. You could also go to www.theweeklycheese.com, catch all our content there. And of course, follow us on Spotify and get your Weekly Cheese in your car. The Weekly Cheese is everywhere. Thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you all later this week as we preview the Packers' upcoming contest against the Minnesota Vikings. First of the year against those dirtbags in purple. We'll break it all down. Till then, as always, remember, the cheese stands alone. Talk to you later this Come week, on, everyone. Pass, Go Pack.